Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to a very special dwarf cast with a very special guest. He's appeared in huge blockbuster movies such as Batman, Aliens and The Fifth Element, as well as being the go-to American guy for dozens of British comedies, including Black Books, French and Saunders, The New Statesman, My Family and Oh Dr. Beeching. But we know him best as Captain Frank Hollister, or possibly Dennis the Donut Boy, it's Mac McDonald! Yay! <laughs> so let's get the big one out of the way. What was it like appearing in Oh Dr. Beeching? Oh, God, that was really fantastic. Um, it was working with, oh, God, this is bad because I can't remember anybody's <laughs> name. David Croft. Yeah. And uh, he was really sweet, really lovely, and I felt I was talking to one of the, you know, root people of comedy in England. Yeah. And uh, Sue... Pollard? Pollard. Sue Pollard, yeah. I played her kind of American boyfriend. I was a soldier stationed here in the, uh, I guess, 50s. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we were boyfriend and girlfriend and stuff, and she's really very funny and crazy. And uh, Shane Thing. Paul Shane. Paul, what? Paul Shane. No. Shane anyway. Hey. Shane McGowan. <laughs> yeah, Shane McGowan. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I actually did some dental surgery on him uh, during the shoot. Uh, I, first, I knocked out all of his teeth with my fist, and then I fashioned new ones out of sugar cubes. Cool. And so we super glued those in. And did you know he's got new teeth? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. It's quite strange. Very strange. Yeah. He goes like that, and you think, who the fuck <laughs> is that? Um, yeah. So, no, you know, the guy shamed somebody, or somebody shamed. Oh, why am I even wasting time on this? <laughs> but it was really fun. Good. Now, we, you won't remember this, but this isn't the first time I've attempted to interview you. In 2006, I was a student. Uh, I was making a film for my university course about comic books, uh, and I went to the memorabilia convention in Birmingham, Okay. Spotted you there and asked if I could talk to you on camera about comic books because of the Batman connection. Yeah. And you said no because you didn't know anything about comic books, but you did know about cereal. So, uh. what's your favourite cereal? <laughs> <laughs> I could say Game of Thrones, but I'm going to go with Cheerios. <laughs> um, yeah. Did, no, but I did give you some kind of an interview, surely. No. I like kids. No. I just told you to go away. Yeah, you were very polite, but I think it wasn't the best place to do it, really. Oh, were... maybe, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I usually give interviews to whoever yeah. asked me, you know. It was just, oh, I got it's Matt McDonald. <laughs> yeah. hadn't met at that point. <laughs> no, no, but, um, yeah, I don't remember that, but it's it's a possible thing. Yeah. As long as so you... you're here now, anyway, yeah. so we're good. As long as I, I know what your favourite cereal is, that's all I really wanted to, yeah. to find out. That's why I'm here, really. Cheerios. Or yeah, Fruits right. of the Forest muesli. Yeah, yeah. You don't go for any of the kind of American sugary ones, you know, Apple Jacks or, or Cinnamon Grahams or anything like that? No, but we had, we had the beginnings of all that, you know. Yeah. I was in the generation that went from boring old oatmeal and shredded wheat styly things to, like, blam and zip and chuck on. <laughs> Woo! And... Uh, it was great. It was like eating a bowl full of candy with milk yeah. on it. <laughs> you know, so it was, um, 
the, the first the start of all that. Now they're cutting back, and they're probably going to raise the price on them for sugar tax, right? Yeah, mm. yeah. Sad times. Anyway, uh, your career, uh, your days as the human jukebox are well documented. But uh, what I've never been clear on is how did you get to that point? Like, how did a guy from New York end up being a busker in London in the first place? Oh, okay. Well, I came to England because I had a British friend. And uh, we were both bicycle messengers together in San Francisco. Mm. And so we got to be good friends. We were flatmates and everything. And so he was coming back to England to do a walking tour from Land's End to John O'Groats. John O'Groats, I'm getting real American. <laughs> and, uh, and so he wanted me to do it with him. And he, we were going to hit all the pubs on the B roads, you know, and just walk the length of the country. And it was hippie days, and that sounded really great to me, good plan, you know. But it took me a year to save my money. And in that time, um, I just decided to surprise him. I was just going to show up, you know. He gave me his address in Putney. And so I went to his address, and I rang the doorbell, and his flatmate came to the door. And I said, uh, yeah, hi, I'm Mac. Is Stoney here? And she went... Oh, no. What did you say your name was? I said, Mac. She goes, he flew to San Francisco to see a guy named Mac two weeks ago. <laughs> and I'd gone to New York first. I'd gone from San Francisco to New York, spent two weeks with my parents. So we almost, on the same day, left to see each other. Our planes probably crossed in the air. And I didn't have the mouse to wave to him as he went by. <laughs> so I ended up in England with no contacts, no, didn't know anybody. And uh, I went to Europe and started hitchhiking around in Europe. Ended up in Vondel Park in Amsterdam. Met a couple of really crazy American guys who had a squat in Tufnell Park in Lady Somerset Road. And so they said, come and live with us. And so I did. This is 74. Yeah. And so I lived for a couple of years in a squat in Lady Somerset Road. And uh, I had had the idea to do the human jukebox because there was a guy in San Francisco who used to get in a big, you know, like a box that the, um, a refrigerator would come in, yeah, you yeah. know, and he'd cut a hole in it and he would stick a trumpet out. He, he, people would put a coin in the slot. He'd stick a trumpet out going, and that was it. So I thought, well, I can improve on that. And so uh, I had like 24 songs on the front of it, everything from Peggy Sue to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And uh, it was painted up to look like a jukebox. And But how I got the actual jukebox was, like I said, I was living with a bunch of people in Tufnell Park, and one of them was an art student. And I, at that time, was selling belts and bags that I made, uh, leather belts and bags in Camden Lock. It was the first year of Camden Lock Market. Mm. And so uh, I, every Saturday and Sunday, I was down there with my belts and stuff. And one Saturday, we're sitting there drinking Guinness, you know, waiting for people to come by. And one of the guys in the house comes down with something under his arm and he plops it down and he goes, you talked about it, now you have to do it. And it was a jukebox, a cardboard <laughs> jukebox. And it had space for 24 songs on the front. And I really felt I had to kind of walk the walk. So I filled in 24 songs of anything I could think of 
it was Happy Birthday was on there. And uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was on there. That's covering all occasions. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah. And I had a Your Choice of Song, which was yeah. the best thing, because people would come up, put a coin in, and uh, they had little uh, levers on the outside that they could move up and down, and I had the same list inside. And if they moved it to Your Choice of Song, I'd come out and I'd go, what song do you want? And go, uh, whatever. And if I didn't know it, I'd just make it up. And um, so that was great. So that's why I did it, is because I had to do it. You're forced into it. Yeah. Uh, so then what, how did you make the step from that to being a TV and, and film actor? Was there any kind of big break or did it just kind um, of happen? Well, I think what happened was... I joined an actor's co-op because when I first came here, I was scared shitless to jump into the acting world because mm. I didn't have an English accent, although my accent is perfect now, as you can hear. Yeah. Uh, back then, I was really kind of afraid to attempt flowery Shakespearean stuff. And so uh, I started doing street theater with the jukebox, moved from there to doing stand-up comedy mm. using a loaf of bread and a pot of yogurt showing people how they can make party costumes with it. <laughs> I was like the man from Mother's Pride. And I did that for six years. <laughs> it was on TV a load of times. And um, I think from that, uh, my now, still now, my agent, Roger Carey, um, available for weddings and more mitzvahs. <laughs> um, Roger Carey called me up one day. I didn't know him. And he just said, yeah, I'm interested in representing you. And so I went and met him and stuff, and he said, you know, I, I think I can get a lot of movie stuff for you. And so I signed with him, and that was that. So I've been with him ever since. Well, according to Wikipedia, which is how all great interview questions start, <laughs> according to Wikipedia, your first TV appearance in the UK was as the human jukebox singing Don't Go Breaking My Heart with Kiki D. Now, two questions. Yeah. One, is this true? Two, what the fuck? <laughs> I'll answer the second one first um, yeah no I went up there Malcolm Geary was the producer of it and um, he had seen the jukebox in Covent Garden and he loved it and wanted me to do it on the show Razzmatazz do you remember Razzmatazz? no it was short lived I think I think they only did one maybe two seasons but it was a great show because yeah. he's a great producer and it, it was a music, pop music show, but it was more interviewish, like, yeah. rather than Top of the Pops, you know? It wasn't a kind of current top ten thing. It was yeah. just, you know, around pop music. Yeah. And so I got up there. I didn't know what was going to happen. And he said, bring your jukebox up. So I did. And he'd taken pictures of it before this. And when I arrived, he presented me with another jukebox, just exactly like mine. <laughs> And he said, yeah, we want you to sing Don't Go Breaking My Heart with Kiki D. She's, she's our um, guest today. And I went, okay. <laughs> that sounds cool. Yeah, so, Elton, Elton wasn't available. Yeah, that's, that's right. The second choice. Yeah. So he sang it, and uh, it was really fun. It's a great song. So yeah, yeah. it was good. I also did a song with Dolly Parton. Did you know that? No, no, no. I didn't know that. Same did, show. Uh, no, no, this is in... Uh, Covent Garden. Right. We got a... It was run by the GLC, Greater London Commission or whatever it was. 
And uh, anyway, they showed up at Covent Garden where all the buskers were and said, you guys can't work today between 12 and 2. Dolly Parton's coming down to do a press photo call. It's normally she works 9 to 5, not 12 to 2. That's exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. So um, we were pissed off because 12 to 2 is prime summertime busking, yeah. money-making time. So she arrives at 12 o'clock in a limousine with tons of photographers. There were like maybe 50, 60 photographers and a huge crowd assembled because it was Dolly Parton. So she's like talking to them and everything and I'm there going, there's gotta be some way I can turn this to my advantage. And then I got my idea. So I waited until there was a break and she was like going off to the side to get a little cup of tea or something. So I kind of nonchalantly wandered up to her and said, hi, darling, my name's Matt McDonald. I'm an American actor living in London. I was thinking what a great photo opportunity it would be for you and me to get in my jukebox and do a few pics. What do you think? <laughs> and she went, I think that sounds real good, Matt. <laughs> so we set up my jukebox. She got in the jukebox with me, and she goes, what do you want to sing? I went, you pick one. <laughs> she went, great balls of fire? I went, yeah, great. That's <laughs> never heard it as a duet, but I like the idea. <laughs> so I went, you shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. She went, too much love and drives a man insane. <laughs> and uh, we did the whole song, and like her, her head, because she's really short, she's like four foot nine or something. Her head just got over the lip of the um, jukebox speaker that I stick my head out of, and. Uh, and so we sang it, and it was great. Had a huge round of applause. Everybody loved it and stuff. And um, my one regret is that I didn't think to go into the audience after and say, if anybody took a picture, here's my address. Please send yeah, me a yeah. print, you know? <laughs> yeah. so, Pre-selfies. By quite a distance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so your film career... Yeah. Uh, You've worked with some absolutely incredible directors. There's Tim Burton, James Cameron, Luke Lesson. What's it like when you're working with icons? Did you ever get intimidated or was it just a, a kind of learning opportunity? Well, the only time that I did freak out, and I did, was with Sean Connery. Mm. I was in a film called The Russia House. And um, I played a CIA guy called Bob, and I'm meeting... James Bond, no, not James Bond, <laughs> but that was my problem. Yeah. <laughs> I was meeting this uh, character of Sean's called Barley. He's a book publisher, and he gets uh, involved with Michelle Pfeiffer in Russia and all this stuff. She plays a Russian very well. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was, it was a good part. I had like three weeks on it. And I only have one major speech. So, of course, they always give you a major speech on the first day you arrive. But I was prepared. I had it nailed. Um, so I went up, you know, had my words in my head and stuff, you know. And um, I'd been with Sean in makeup. He was in the chair next to me. I'd met him already, so that was cool. He was asking me where I lived in London and all that stuff. And so... I kind of felt I knew him okay. He's a very nice person and, and all that. So we're sitting there, and I'm in an armchair looking at the door where Barley is supposed to appear. And I say, hi, Barley, my name's Bob, and I'm here to do some good work. Let's work together, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So 
Fred uh, Skepsi comes over and he goes, right, Mac, we're just going to rehearse a couple of times for camera and then shoot, yeah? And I went, yeah, brilliant, great, let's do it. So he goes, okay. So usually when you, you're lining things up or you're doing camera rehearsals or whatever, there's somebody stands in place where the actor's going to be, so you get eye line, you know, and all that. So I look over and there's Sean Connery standing in the doorway. It's like James Bond is standing there in the doorway and he's looking at me. And Fred goes, all right, Mac, ready to go and action. And my brain's gone, that's James Bond. <laughs> he's looking at me. So after nothing happens for 10 seconds, Fred goes, cut. Uh, he goes, you okay, Mac? And I went, sorry, I'm really sorry. I just drew a complete blank. I know my words, I know my words, don't worry. And so they went, okay, so we'll just go again. And so he goes, everybody ready? Yeah, okay. And action. And I'm looking and I'm still seeing James Bond <laughs> standing there. And I think, you gotta say something, man. Anything, <laughs> just say anything. <laughs> And my, my body is just like rigid. I've got sweat going down my rib cage and everything because I couldn't say a word. Just. <laughs> Fred goes, cut. So he comes over to me, predictably, and says, Yeah, you okay? And I went, Yeah, man. I'm just, I'm so, he goes, Well, look, we had a problem with the camera. We've got to sort out. So you have a word with continuity, and we'll go again and then we'll shoot it. And I went, Okay. And Oh, man, I was just freaking out. I thought, oh, they're going to send me home. Yeah. They're, you know, they're just going to say, you can't do it. Get out of here. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm sweating, and I'm thinking, oh, fuck. And I just feel hands on my shoulders, kind of just kneading my shoulders, giving me a little massage, you know, just sitting there. And I just thought, yeah, just fucking relax, man. So I just kind of relaxed and stuff. And then the massage stopped, and I... The guy walked around there, and I looked up, and it was Sean. <laughs> and he just said, looked down at me and went, you're going to be great. <laughs> and I went, oh, thanks. Thanks so much. <laughs> so he got back over in place. Fred goes, you ready to go, Matt? And I went, yeah, 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 great. We're, we're ready. So he goes, okay, well, we're going to just shoot it. Let's just go for it. Went, okay. So he goes over, and he goes, and action. And I went, Hello, Barley. I'm Bob. And the rest is history. Hey, lovely. So it was, it was just a super nice thing for somebody to do who's like in his category instead of just thinking, yeah. oh, what the fuck? Is this amateur hour? You know, they should get somebody who can do the... You know, yeah. he didn't think of that. My theory is that this has happened to him before. <laughs> yeah. You know? There he goes. Because, you know, everybody's got people who are iconic in their lives and it's like you are with me you know what I mean it's like you, know, you throw yourself on the floor and let me walk over you on the way into the interview this morning and that was really nice but um you know he just had had this happen to a lesser extent maybe or something and he just knew that he, he could help out so it was really nice and, and don't worry, you will get your massage when we've finished. Yay! <laughs> Conditions. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to the, 
the TV side of things, you've worked on so many comedies as the American guy. Who are the most <laughs> impressive performers that you've worked with? Um, yeah, French and Saunders are great. They were just terrific, really good. And uh, Smith and Jones were really good too, especially Mel Smith. I, mm -hmm. I did a couple of things with him. I, I he he directed me in a Fruit of the Loom T-shirt ad. <laughs> <laughs> Took a couple of days. Um, and uh, Lenny Henry, really nice guy. I mean, just about everybody's a nice. Guy and All right, know, he, very he's funny. Nice. He was not nice. <laughs> um, everybody's always loath to say that because you know we don't bite each other's back in this business. But I'll tell you who's a real asshole. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I can't really. Think of we'll just put beef that you said. <laughs> yeah. Jack Nicholson, and I'm not telling the story. <laughs> okay, so Red Dwarf. Yeah, yeah. That's why we're all here. Yeah. Uh, how did you first become involved? Did you have to audition? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like everybody else. I think Chris and Craig had to audition like everybody else, too, at that point. And uh, it was Paul Jackson. I don't think Doug was there. Uh, no, it was just people from the production company there. Mm. And, um, yeah. It's just an audition, you know, you just, at that time, there was loads of stuff to audition for. These days, not so much, you know, with all reality stuff. I hate people that are connected to reality TV. <laughs> I'm just waiting to get my hands on one of those sons of bitches. And, oh, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, you just treat it like an audition. When I got the job, I thought, yeah, this is good, funny little script, you know, it'll be cool. But I never thought it was going to be... As nobody ever does, you know, when you yeah. do the first, even when they did the first episode of Fools and Horses or any of those things, it's just a job, you know, you just do it and stuff, and then it gradually gets going. Like Cheers, for example, mm. they almost axed after the first season. They just would said, no, this is not working. We've got to get rid of this show. And then somebody saved it. And I mean, you know, Cheers, Jesus. So... Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't expecting it to go anywhere. And for me, it didn't go anywhere, really. For, <laughs> yeah. I got uh, a couple of episodes in the first and second season. And then, apparently, I was forgotten about. Oh. But then comes season eight. <laughs> they remembered me again. Well, we're about to get onto that, but you were there right in the very, very early days, like the very first days, uh, rehearsing uh, in Acton. Yeah. Recording in Manchester. Yeah. Minibuses in between or coaches in between. Yeah. But do you, well, any anecdotes from those days? <laughs> well, one funny thing is that when we did the shoot in Manchester, they put us up in a place called the Britannia Hotel. Do, do you know it? Yeah. Well, back in those days, I don't know if it still is, but it was so rough. It was really, really rough. And I it's think in that, Manchester, of course, it's rough. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think even for Manchester, it was like really rough. And um, Ricky Hatton was a waiter in the no. restaurant no he wasn't but um <laughs> when, I was, <laughs> when I was walking up to the um, hotel on the first day I got off the train you know walked up to the hotel and as I was walking up coming up the stairs the outside stairs from the bar they have a basement bar there is like a barman burly son of a bitch really big guy and he's hauling this customer up 
The customer is covered in blood. His face is bleeding. It's all over his shirt and everything. He comes up and he goes, get the fuck out of here and don't come back. And this guy's bouncing along the pavement. And I'm like, this is our hotel? <laughs> I mean, I'm not a little pussy or anything, but I was thinking, I ain't going to that bar tonight. <laughs> and that night when I was trying to go to sleep, because you have to get up the next day and work, so you try to go to sleep at a reasonable hour and everything. I heard the sounds of love being made and kind of bumping the bedpost against the wall, you know. Oh, 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 more, ah, oh yeah. And all this stuff, you know, and it's bouncing. I'm thinking, oh shit, I hope they finish this thing pretty <laughs> quick so I can go to sleep. And so it went on and on and on. And I thought, you know, that's not coming from the wall. That's coming from outside. So I went to the door, opened the door. And in the corridor, up against my wall, <coughs> are people screwing. She's got, you know, her legs wrapped around his waist and everything. And he's banging away. This isn't a family website, is it? I don't know. I don't want Okay. <laughs> and, and so I said to them, literally... Can you get a room, please? Can you go to your room, please? She goes, oh, we don't have... She says, stop in the middle. We don't have a room. <laughs> I'm like, uh, uh, okay. Have a good time. Bye. <laughs> Went back in, and I think that... That hurried them on a little bit, I think. They, were, they were finished pretty soon after that. But it was tough. And everything was done on the cheap. I think, mm -hmm. you know... I think they're probably, like me, a lot of people think that the first couple of series of Red Dwarf were the best because they were done with literally cardboard painted sometimes on the day you came on, onto the set and there'd be fresh paint all over the place because they had no money. And so, that, you know, that, that has a kind of good flavor for me. Mm. I like doing things on the cheap. I think when you throw too much money at something, you depend on it to carry that you know, depend on CG and all that stuff. And it's better if you just got a rocket ship on a string going by <laughs> outside the window. Who asked you, Danny? <laughs> this is my fucking interview, pal. I'm going to get back in my box. Here, have my tea. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't even hear that. I was being so funny. What did you say? <laughs> uh, so then, yeah, a decade later, you're Here I back. am. Oh no, that was no, no. a decade. That was decade, another decade, decade ago. after series one. Yeah, right. back for right. series eight. Yeah, uh, as a main character rather than the occasional guest. Uh -huh. uh, how did that differ? Did you feel like you were one of the boys? Oh yeah, and I did in the beginning because mm. we were all. Don't forget, we were all new. There was no kind of, you know, we are the first people or something. Yeah. You know, like you get in some comedy scenes. Although I will say that I've done because I have done a lot of sitcoms. It's rare that you get, like, my family, maybe a little bit. Maybe just a little bit. Um, but usually they welcome you on. And we were all adventuring together for the first series. So, yeah. And then, you know, they just welcomed me on to Series 8 as friends because we'd see each other and have a beer or whatever, you know, um, in the interim period. So I didn't feel like I'd lost track. And I knew Chris and Craig from the alternative comedy scene. Because yeah. uh, Chris was like one of the best um, impressionists in the country. Yeah. I mean, it was him and Rory Bremner, basically. And I think if Chris hadn't have done Red Dwarf, which made him unavailable to do other stuff, 
he might be, you know, mm. the, the Rory Bremner, who's not that... Well, I guess he is still Rory's the, one of the biggest impressionists. Yeah. yeah, still, yeah. But <laughs> Naomi MacDonald, my daughter, have you seen any of her impressions? Yeah, on YouTube, yeah. Oh, okay. So she's coming up into the impression scene and she will take over the world. <laughs> Watch out, Bremner's. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but uh, quite slightly awkward question. Uh, a lot of the humour around Captain Hollister in Series 8 seemed to be... Oh, don't mention fat. Uh-oh. No, I'm joking. Uh, yeah. It's all fat there jokes. Were, there was Dodger and all yeah. that. Didn't bother me. Was that okay with you? <laughs> Fine. <laughs> yeah, who gives a shit? I mean, people have been making fun of fat people since year one, so... Yeah. Probably in caveman days, they go, Oh, he too much. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like... Always funny to see a fat guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also a lot of the, the the whole thing about Dennis the Donut Boy. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to get a little bit in depth here. <laughs> the, it was the idea that Hollister was this chancer rather than being a you know proper captain of yeah, the ship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they sort of changed the character for the uh, for the sake of the jokes. Were you aware of that sort of thing or did you just not care? You were just after the jokes? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I thought that added a really good dodgy dimension to him yeah. that he got where he was not by any kind of skill or acumen but by just taking advantage of a situation. Yeah, no, I thought that was much better, I thought. Did it change the way you played it? No. No. <laughs> no, because it wouldn't. I mean... You know, he's he's established as the captain at this point, and yeah. you know, I mean, it wasn't if if it was written so that he was doing slightly dodgy things, then you know, you play it that way. But it was just kind of, to me, it was written pretty well. You know, more broad maybe than the first series, but mm. pretty well in that vein. You know. Yeah, well, essentially, in your earliest appearances, Hollister was pretty much the straight man. So it was, I guess it was different in Series 8 to be able to actually... Oh, yeah, yeah. There was more more to do, you mm-hmm. know. There was uh, more meat to chew, yeah. Hence the salad touching. Yeah. yeah. Uh, would you do Red Dwarf again, if you were asked? Ooh, God, I'm not sure. Of course I would. <laughs> yeah, I love working with those guys. And, um, you know, Doug's a great writer and producer and... Now a director, yeah. yeah. So of course I would, yeah. Well, maybe for series thirteen. Uh, maybe. I'm gonna end uh, with the big question: as a born and bred American who's lived in England for most of his life, which is best, Britain or America? <laughs> You're joking, right? <laughs> no, you have to answer it now. <laughs> in what food? <laughs> Just sorry, overall. buddy. <laughs> best food, America. Comedy. Mm, Bill Hicks, mm, Steve Martin, Richard Pryor, Chris Rock. Anybody to match up there? I don't think so. Uh, acting, Robert De Niro, Harvey Keitel. That's about it. <laughs> so you do have better actors. Yeah. No, I, I think they're just so different. Um, but America is better. Okay. Well, on that note... Get out of my country. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Matt McDonald, thank you very much. Thank you. Yay! Yay. God, I'm good. Thank you for listening to G&T Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. (laughs) 